What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. Blog Talk Radio. For the Bobby Eaton Show, yeah. giving you information you'll want to know, speaking on issues affecting us all, and music for the soul. Yeah. It's the Bobby Eaton Show. Bobby. It's the Bobby Eaton Show. Bobby. It's the Bobby Eaton Show. Bobby. It's the Bobby Eaton Show. Hello world, good afternoon, good evening, hey, and welcome to the Bobby Eaton Show. This is where we tell our stories our way, and we do that over here located in the heart of Black Wall Street, Tulsa, Oklahoma, 1533 North Norfolk, you know, and uh, we have a community radio show. Uh, I'm not formatted, not scripted or nothing, we just want people to come in and have a good time and have a great conversation. Today's show is Tulsa Public Schools Superintendent Deborah Giss is in the house. Hey, and she's in the house. So uh, we're going to be talking with her and talking about some issues uh, concerning our school district. Meanwhile, this coronavirus thing, boy, that's becoming very serious throughout the United States. And um, we need to be hand sanitizers and we need to sanitize. And, you know, everybody's starting to fist bump now, you know, and elbow bump and whatever, but be conscious of what you're what you're doing and where you're at and where you're located and stuff like that, especially our young children and stuff. So take care of them and do what uh, you need to do to protect our youth and our people. And those of you who don't know, we are a community-based radio station here in North Tulsa, uh, KBOB 89.9 FM, uh, Blog Talk Radio iTunes podcast and iHeart Radio. So uh we all information comes over here in North Tulsa. Everybody comes through here and we have great conversations and we do stuff. You know, we're more than just a radio station getting on the microphone just talking. We're all out in the community uh servicing our youth and our young people, trying to make a difference in their lives and that's what it's about. So I want to encourage each and every one of you, if you're not involved in anything, volunteer. Get out, take at least a couple hours of the week. Now, you can do that. A couple hours a week, go over Miss Williams' house. She's 87 years old. Cut her grass, you know, uh, single-parent mom, got a little boy. Take him out, showing something, you know, different. So volunteer, get involved, teach them something. So, uh, boy, I'm going to uh, up a stage play this evening, Theater North. Uh, so Theater North presents... The Face of Emmett Till. For those of you who don't know, Emmett Till was a 14-year-old boy, and he was murdered back in the day. And they disfigured his face and body and things like that. 
And uh, it was at the point to where the funeral director said, we can't show this body. But his mother said, yeah, let's show what they had did to him. So that play is taking place tonight at uh, Liddy Dungeon's Theater. Showtime is at 8 o'clock p.m., Tulsa Performing Arts Center. So those of you who can make it out, make it out. Well, hey, we got Dr. Uh, Giss in the house. We're going to bring her on. So I want you to stick around, call a family member, tell a friend. Dial the number 646-716-5525. Don't forget to press that one button. Or you, you can just listen on KBOB 89.9. Here's Tulsa's own Gap Band. Thank you. 
KBOB 89.9. This is Bobby Eaton, the Bobby Eaton Show. And uh, we're every Monday, Wednesday, Friday, 6 p.m. Central Standard Time. And like today, from 12 to 2. And in the studio, Deborah Giss. How are we doing there, lady? Good afternoon, Bobby. I'm doing great. I'm happy to great. be here. Thank you. Hey, welcome to the show. And uh, we're going to just kind of like talk about some issues and talk about some things so that we can get the information out there, right? Excellent. So first of all, before we even get into that, where are you from? I'm from Tulsa. You're from born and raised? Well, I was actually, I was born in Dallas okay. Park, at Parkland Memorial Hospital, and, and then, but I grew up in Tulsa from preschool through So you graduation. know Tulsa, right? I do. Attended right. Tulsa Public Schools that whole yeah. time. Mm-hmm. So, so uh, your family's here? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so did you ever leave Tulsa? And go I did. Up? I did? was gone for 30 years. 30 years. Mm-hmm. I know. Where were you living? Where were you at? Uh, Texas, Florida. Massachusetts, oh, D.C., all, Rhode Island. All over the place, mm-hmm, huh? Mm-hmm. And uh, were your job taking you there? Were you mm-hmm. doing something different than what you're doing now? I was in education that entire time. Started my okay. career as a teacher. Uh, unfortunately, left Oklahoma in the 80s to teach in Texas for the same reason that teachers leave Oklahoma today. And it's only gotten dramatically worse, actually. Mm. But um, And uh, so I've been in education and worked in education in six different states. So I've, I've seen that it works really differently in a lot of different places. Okay. And uh, why is it worse? What what do you think is a problem in the issue in Oklahoma and here in Oklahoma? Well, there are a lot of things that uh, create significant challenges for us to overcome. Um, The most obvious and the most significant is the the lack of funding. So we remain at the bottom of the country in terms of what we invest in our students. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, my question is, why are we on the bottom with education? Is that because uh, governmental invest, uh, the government who don't invest into our school systems so when i say we're at the bottom i mean in terms of investment so we are of the most recent report that came out we are um like 47th we've been 48 maybe like the bottom third. So in other words, actually, because we have such dedicated teachers who do all of what they do in spite of the barriers that we have in front of them, um, the challenges our students have, they actually are are, are doing a lot with mm-hmm. the little that they have. You know, at one time, it wasn't like this. Back in the, you know, back in the day, I think we had a pretty strong school system you know, back in the day in that time, and it declined. And I noticed that we're having the closures of some schools. We're closing down schools. Right. Well, Oklahoma's never really invested in education. Um, But you're right, in Tulsa, we, you know, when I was in Tulsa Public Schools in the 70s and and early 80s, we, you know, we were, we had as much as 70 or 80,000 students, and we're at at less than half that now, or about half that now. And so, um, and so, yes, it is means that when it comes to having the same number of school buildings, when you, when you 
lose students that significantly, it makes it more difficult to keep yeah, those be- schools open. Because they say when schools close, then the community's not growing. Or when school, you're not building any schools in a community. Yes, it's extraordinarily difficult uh, for a neighborhood to have. You know, schools are the center of community. Yeah. And uh, and our schools matter very much to us. And in 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 our city, especially, we've had this system of neighborhood schools. And so, like when I was in elementary school, every little neighborhood had a little neighborhood school and everyone went to it. And we all walked or rode our bikes right. to that neighborhood school. And that's just not the the way people tend to go to school as much now. Yeah. Many do, but not all. So basically, what you're telling me is funding. That's not our only challenge, but it is by far the most significant challenge that we have. And it's funding for education for sure. But the other thing that I would add on top of that, it is the lack of investment that we make as a state to the rest of the supports that our students and their families need. So when you think about the social supports, health care, um, job training, um, safety nets, um, and then when on top of that you look at the, um, the way our criminal justice system has worked, um, the lack of support for um, substance abuse, all of these things um, create a r- real challenge for families and neighborhoods, and those challenges then um, affect our children's ability to come to school uh, as ready as we'd like for them to be to to learn. Um, it doesn't mean they're not capable. They are fully capable and full of all the possibility uh, in the world, and uh, we're going to maximize that, but it, it certainly puts barriers in the way of our educators to do their best for kids. Yeah, I've noticed that some of the teachers have to go in their own personal pockets to buy rulers and whatever, crayons, uh, whatever. And I, I just don't think that uh, the funding and the support is there in the school system. Mm-hmm. It's, just not, it's, not, it's just not there. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that there's not enough attendance. Now, it's just me talking mm-hmm. and PTAs and things like that. And uh, just getting the school system in a position to where it can be right there for the children. Mm-hmm. The children suffer. Mm-hmm. You know, they really do. They suffer. So, you know, when we don't invest in our children, then, like I said, they, they suffer. And with you being the head, like the president, the superintendent, you get a lot of flack behind a whole lot of stuff. You know what I mean? But that's kind of like the coach. The coach is always going to be somebody going to say something about that. So mm-hmm. but we have to have relevant type things. You're responsible for some of the stuff, so Absolutely. you gotta you buck, gotta take the, the bump, bumps in, sure, right, sure. the bumps and the bruises. You know, Absolutely. you gotta just come on and go. So, what are some of the challenges that you feel like that you're coming up on? Well, so I mentioned funding, which is really the umbrella challenge of everything, because the uh, the next challenge that we have, which is also directly related to that, is our teacher shortage. So we have um, dramatic teacher shortage in Oklahoma. The country is starting to feel that pretty broadly, but it's very acute right here in Oklahoma. And in Tulsa, 
we really struggle to hold on to teachers. And so, as you probably know, a few years ago, Oklahoma had 35 emergency certifications a year that were usually really high need areas, like say a physics teacher or something like that. And today there are thousands and thousands of emergency certifications given out in Oklahoma. And um, and so that means that we have educators in our classrooms who many of them, by the way, are doing a great job and they bring something really special because they have different kinds of experience. But when you have too many folks who come from a non-traditional preparation background for being in the classroom, that then really puts they have a lot to learn about how to manage a classroom and how to teach. And then that puts a huge burden on the other teachers in, in the building. And so it just, it's just one of the other examples of, of um, why it's, why it's difficult for, for our teams. I noticed, and I've spoke with a lot of teachers and they end up leaving here, packing their bags up, going to Texas or somewhere else because the pay grade is a lot better, huh? Right. Well, like I said, that's what that's what I did um, when I left Oklahoma. And uh, it's only more significant today than it was then, even with the raises that our educators received in the last couple of years. Um, we, we still are not are not competitive. I mean, it was absolutely necessary and we're grateful that those changes happened. But we, we did not solve the problem mm-hmm. even close to. So What's the average pay for a teacher in TPS average? The, the starting is forty thousand now, which we're really glad that we got above that. What was it before, Mark? Uh, it was thirty-two, I believe, before the last two years, thirty-three, um, and then the first year that they got a, an average six thousand dollar raise, and then last mm-hmm. year twelve hundred dollar raise. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe the average is about fifty, but I don't have that number mm-hmm. memorized. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How many teachers are We're, in the school system? We have about twenty-eight hundred teachers. 2,800? 2,800 teachers. For all, how many schools? About 75. 75 mm-hmm. schools and TPS, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 2,800 teachers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you have substitute teachers that come in and mm-hmm. and help out in various different areas, right? Mm-hmm. Do you have a lot of male teachers? We don't have as many male teachers as we would like to have. Um, we would love to see more diversity in our teaching force, both in terms of race and ethnicity and language background and also gender. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, I need to know that. Let's go to the phone lines. I think we got some callers. You know, if you would like to speak with Dr. Giss, just if you're listening on blog talk radio, the 646-716-5525 number, just hit the one button right now. If you want to talk to Dr. Giss, let's go to the phone lines and see what we got. Okay. Hello. Hello, 918-370. You're on the Bobby Eaton Show. Hi, Bobby. This is Tamantha Norman again. How are you? Hello, Tamantha. How are you doing? Great. We got Dr. Giff here in the studio. Good afternoon. Awesome. Good afternoon. And your question is? Yes. So the question I was going to ask is, and it's, I mean, it's one question, but there's kind of several questions in it to unpack. But I guess I'm just curious why the district as a whole is like so hell-bent on like privatizing public education. And what I mean by that is, you know, things like outsourcing students to charter schools instead of trying to like make sure that the performance of all public schools, not just the cherry-picked, you know, crowns and the jewel schools like a Booger T or Carver are doing well, but making sure that all um, schools have, you know, 
all students across the district have the same access to great education. Um, but it seems like there's more of a focus on, like, kind of siphoning those students off to charter schools. Not that I'm anti-charter, but I just, you know, that's just a concern. And then another part of that is just the overuse of, like, consultants and just things where, you know, having a human capital department, things where it's like, you know, we're in the public sector, right? So it's like, um, and nothing gets private sector, but at the same time, it's like when you start bringing in, you know, the language and the rationale of a private sector, when you're talking about children, then it becomes more about processes and financial returns and less about, like, giving quality education to human beings. So I'm just curious to know more about why that's happening. Um, I know there's other CUNY members that are concerned about that, and are there plans to do anything about those criticisms to try to work on improving the quality of all schools instead of, like, you know, getting into this, like, corporate mindset around, you know, education? Yeah, you were right. There was a lot in there. Um, so first of all, I've I've attended public school and only worked in public school my entire career. That is what I do every day. It's what our team does. It's what we care about. And it's how I spend my days. Uh, my team and I spend our days focusing on um, how we provide the supports and, and uh, systems and structures necessary to help our schools achieve and serve our kids. Um, when I came to Tulsa, we had six public charter schools in Tulsa that are authorized by the Board of Education, and we have six now. Um, we have the same number of magnet schools. And so I know that there's this sort of um, uh, talk out there about this sort of corporate thing. I don't understand it. It's not how I spend my time. Um, I think a lot of people don't realize that the charter schools in Oklahoma are um, – are very uh, open. So, for example, when um, when say Kip came and asked to ask the Board of Education to authorize a charter school, a, a high school, um, I made that recommendation to the Board of Education because they came with a, a quality proposal to continue the expansion of their school up through high school. Um, I think what a lot of people don't realize is that if the Board of Education and I don't um, don't respond to a request like that. The, a charter school can go to the state and get authorized anyway, or go to another authorizer and get authorized anyway. And um, what that means then is that they're not under our oversight. So we can't make sure that they are serving kids well. We can't make sure that they're not kicking kids out for, you know, not being strong enough academically or things like that. Um, and so we want them to be under our oversight. But most importantly, we spend our days working on Tulsa Public Schools, the schools that, that are in, uh, under our, you know, school district. And uh, in terms of this whole consultant thing, um, I've been really fortunate to raise private money to bring in uh, experts to help us get up to speed academically. We, when I came to Tulsa, we didn't have um, curriculum. We didn't have um, uh, tools and resources aligned to the state standards that we need in order for our students to do well and to be college and career ready. And so, yes, we've had a number of different um, contracts that were privately funded that have given us the ability to bring in supports to get up to speed there. And those are the kinds of things that, you know, over time we, we hope to rely less on. So, for example, right now we are growing our teacher leaders 
and uh, we have uh, uh, 19 schools that are part of what we call Empower, and we're growing teacher leaders so that teacher leaders can then take the lead and, and do this kind of work instead of relying on people from, you know, outside entities. Okay. All right. Let's go to the phone lines and uh, see who's uh, here. Let's see. Who do we have right here? Area code 918-809. You're on the Bobby Eaton Show. Yeah, hello. I just wanted to uh, speak a minute about Indian education um, in Tulsa and uh, to say that, you know, our Indian education program is uh, is something that uh, maybe a lot of people are eligible for in the African-American community and don't quite realize. Um, we have a large, you know, population of freedmen descendants in northeast Oklahoma, uh, especially the Creek Nation. And I just wanted to get the word out out there that, you know, they are eligible if they if they can show tribal citizenship to when the disenrollment occurred back in the 70s that that those students who who have grandparents or parents that might have been disenrolled are eligible for our title six program which includes tutoring and other things like that and we really need to do more outreach to uh to get those people aware and make sure that they know that they're eligible for our title six indian education services and I wanted to give a special thank you to the Cherokee Nation for uh, enrolling their freedmen descendants, re-enrolling them, and, and getting them back, because that's also been a real boon for our program uh, in terms of our JOM funding. So I just wanted to make sure that people were aware of that. It also gave us a lot more money from the Cherokee TAG money, too. So uh, thank you, Cherokee Nation and Creek Nation. Uh, we hope you'll join the party. Thank you. Okay. Well, thank you, Carla, for calling in, okay? I agree. Oh, amen to all of that. Absolutely. How do you feel um, about it? It's I, everything he said is exactly spot on. So we uh, we definitely want to get the word out to families to complete their 506 forms and get those turned in. And we actually have one more week. So this coming week is the the last week for those to count for this coming year. We collect them all year long. So, okay. Okay. But that's really important. And um, and we've also made some improvements to our systems so that we can do a better job of capturing students who are Native American and African American or Native American and Latinx, because in the, in the old way that was counted, that would sometimes get hidden. And we really need to make sure that we're identifying those students, both so that they have access to those services and, as the caller said, so that we can receive the, the money that's allocated to each student that we count. Gotcha. All right, let's take another phone call. Erico nine one eight two one zero. You're on the Bobby Eaton show. Yes, hello. I am Dr. Dorrance, and my mother was hello. Yes, you're on the show. Yeah, I'm Dr. Jorgensen. My mother was a grandchild of World War One Choctaw code talker Ben Carterby. Ben Carterby was a descendant of the Apochtonabe District Chief Philip Carterby, and Ben was uh, later married Maggie Wade, who was the daughter of Apochtonabe District Chief Colson Wade. What I think is going on with the reorganization of Indian education is clearly unethical, and I think it, it's violating federal statute. In, in three separate online federal offices of Indian education training, it is clear that the parent committee's involvement is mandatory, and that's not being done currently. As a matter of fact, uh, on Indian parent committee training, the uh, Tulsa Public Schools must develop the program with participation and written approval of the Indian parent committee, on page 13, it says the same thing for the electronic application system for Indian education on page 21, and the same thing for the formula grant program information on page 26. On page uh, on the Indian Parent Committee training, 
uh, on page 26, it again uh, once again states that the 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 rule of the Indian Parent Committee, uh, their role in that process is that they approve the Title VI application and how the Title VI funds are to be used in school-wide programs, and that the and that the LEA Tulsa Public Schools has to develop the Title VI pro, uh, project. In, with the participation of the Indian Parent Committee, it says it again on page 29. Uh, currently, they keep having these meetings, and those meetings are not being scheduled by the Indian Parent Committee, and this specific direction of the grant is not, has not been approved uh, by, well, it hasn't been approved by the Indian Parent Committee, and in fact, it, it seems like it is uh, marginalizing the involvement of that committee, which is exactly why uh, leadership in the past uh, fought for uh, Native American uh, American Indian participation in the development of that grant. And I think it's highly unethical, and I, I just wish that you guys would, uh, that the rest of the okay. communities would help us. Okay. Well, uh, doc, Dr. Gis, could you respond? Absolutely. So, first of all, good afternoon, Trey. It's good to hear your voice. Um, um, Dr. Gordon. Dr. Gordon. Absolutely. Dr. Trigg Jorgensen is an employee in the Indian Education Office, and he, along with some of his colleagues, unfortunately received a letter that indicated that their positions uh, were being recommended for this reorganization, and that's extraordinarily difficult. And it, it ha has happened many times in our office because we have had this you know, painful exercise over the last number of years of having to do more with less as as a district. And it's extraordinarily hard. And I empathize with that and understand that. I think the the, the good news out of all of this is that um, what's happening right now with our Indian education office is that we are elevating this um, need and the importance of these services within the community and to the point of the last caller like this is going to help us to identify more students so that they can receive services and so that we can receive the funding to to be able to provide those services um, We're getting you know, absolutely we absolutely are working with the parent committee. We absolutely are following all of the laws and have all of the, uh, you know, proper recommendations in, in place to do that effectively. So I appreciate the reminder and we'll, we'll keep focusing on yeah. it. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you, Carla, for calling in and asking those questions right there. Okay. Let's go to the other phone line and see who we got. Other caller. Here we go. 918 You're on the Bobby Eaton show. Hello. 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 Yes, you're on the air. Yes, this is Daryl Bright. Citizen oh, United hey, for Better Daryl. Education. Yes. Uh, good afternoon, uh, Doctor Guest. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. This is an age-old issue that we've had. It's been with us for generations, and that is the condition of our schools on the north side. And it's not that there hadn't been individuals whose hearts are in the right place, who have great intentions and do, and that's not to question that, but we cannot help but look at the outcomes that we've had over those 50, maybe going on 60 years now. It has uh, always been our position that the district is unwilling and has been unwilling to understand why African-American children are always at the bottom of these metrics uh, or ways of, uh, of looking at achievement in terms of testing, of um, school testing, and annual testing, that is. 
And we have never seen a wholehearted, thorough, strategic plan that dealt with African-American students, that dealt with our cultural heritage, that dealt with our intellectual heritage, that recognized our cognitive development needs or linguistic, how we speak, needs, and also our needs in terms of self-identification. And as a result, in the good times or bad times, we still have uh, our schools, we've seen our students across the uh, district have been mired in low performance and mediocrity. And we all know that in the 21st century, there is no room, job for those who are mediocre or low performance. So I, I'm looking at the same thing that's happening at Run Uh there is no strategic plan that I can gather when I talk to individuals. There is not a culturally relevant curriculum, culturally relevant uh, uh, responsive curriculum, and also no culturally responsive or relevant instructional delivery. As a matter of fact, when I look at the curriculum, uh, a lot of these curriculums from Amplify don't even mention anything about culture or multicultural. And our district is 72% children of color. And we have to begin to, and it's way overdue, to understand how we have to teach these children of color. And I'm speaking about African-American children because we're at the bottom, generally speaking, of every metric. It's a very complex issue, but it's one that we have to get to the root cause. And we have to understand the uh, structural racism, how it's embedded in the system and its manifestations, this is not by accident over generations. A lot of our teachers have not left our schools because of low wages, but because they have not been allowed to teach the way they needed to teach. And everything was coming from top down. There was not the collaborative effort that is needed to reach the root causes of why African-American children remain at the bottom. And needless to say, we have shared with you, uh, when you first got to the district, 2015, it was a, a plan. It is not that we had all the answers, nor did we know all the questions. And we noticed that to do this, we have to rely on the moral authority, and as you are, and the board but it doesn't seem there's a willingness to delve that deeply into why these conditions continue to exist over the generations. So strategically, how do you deal with it? Where's the plan? And that includes well, the equity. I'm sorry, I thought you were finished. I'm not sorry, I'm finished. I'll wait. So as you know, we used the information that you presented me right after I arrived in the development of the plan that we've had. It's a five-year plan. We've been acting upon that plan. Um, I'm actually the first superintendent in Tulsa Public Schools to call out explicitly the, um, the differences in performance in academically, the differences um, in, in suspension and discipline issues and how that breaks out from a, a racial and a gender perspective and to declare that and to call it and to set goals around it. We are the first team to do that. We're also the first team 
to take on the issues that you raise so very well, and they're so important around cultural relevance of materials. Our country has for all time, unfortunately, um, failed to deliver history and, and literature and, and other um, uh, tools that we use in our schools that are reflective of um, anything really outside the white male dominant culture. And that's just been the practice in the United States of America in the materials that we have. And when you have states like Texas that really dominate that, um, that, that, um, you know, the textbook buying, it's difficult to break out of that. So we are the first team to pull together folks to, to tackle those materials and to say, what are the things that we need to do to uh, enhance and change and make sure that we have literature and history that is reflective of our community and, and who's actually in it. And, um, and, and we've done that in a number of different ways. Um, I can, you know, give you examples of things that we've done with the, um, with the core knowledge uh, curriculum, for example, just recently. And are we there? Absolutely not. We're not. But the situation is that we're having to create materials because unfortunately our country doesn't have materials that they publish. Um, if there are things out there, I'd love to have people point us to them because right now we're in a position of needing to develop them and pulling our teachers together to dive in, to find the resources, to create them, and to and to develop them into tools that our other that their colleagues can use. So that's where we are right now. We are, we have a whole lot more work to do, but we we're the first team to tackle it in a big way, and we appreciate your leadership on that topic. Okay. All right. So you, we're on the Bobby Eaton Show where we tell our stories our way. You can dial the number 646-716-5525. And don't forget to press that one button. We got Dr. Deborah Giss in the house, you know, answering questions of concern. And so you can do that. We're going to take a little pause for the call, and we're going to be right back. So we want you to stick around, okay? KBOB, the home of the Bobby Eaton Show, the Juice Radio Show, and Two Dogs Radio Show. Yeah. I do it big. Okay. You better R-E-S-P-E-C-T me. Tulsa, Oklahoma. Stay connected and call us now at 646-716-5525 and press 1 to go live. Theater North presents The Face of Emmett Till, directed by Dr. Rodney L. Clark at the Tulsa Performing Arts Center at the Liddy Dungeons Theater, March 1st and 8th, 2020 at 3 p.m. and March 7th, 2020 at 8 p.m. This is his story told by his mother's words. Visit our website right now at www.tulsapac.com or call 918-596-7111. This is a story that you don't want to miss. The Face of Emmett Hill, directed by Dr. Rodney L. Clark. Be there. Right about now. Let's go. Find them on Facebook, the Two Dogs Sports Talk. A place sports talk is talked about from a fan's point of view. North Tulsa's very own sports talk on 89.9 FM and Facebook Live with Drone and Yo. 
Searching for ways to grow your business? Or perhaps you would like to invest in Tulsa's African-American community? The Black Wall Street Chamber of Commerce is a great place to start. The Chamber was created to serve and increase the visibility of needs in our community. It is an umbrella organization for local businesses, the Tulsa Juneteenth Festival, BWS Black Women in Business, and the Grassroot Economic Development Fund known as BWS The Power Group. For more information about the Black Wall Street Chamber of Commerce or to donate to the Power Group, visit bwschamber.com. I might as well drop a, drop a little something on your hold-up. Messy Mika, Sunshine, Sunshine. Randall Lopez, Oakman, and DJ Perfecto. Yep, that's my crew. Wake up. Wake up. Wake up. Wake up every morning with your morning crew from 7 a.m. to 9 a.m. on the all-new 89.9 FM Community Radio. KBOB. Oh, yeah. Dawn Tree here, CEO of Underground Tree Studios, your one-stop shop for graphics, web design, and art. You can find us online at www.utreep.com. That's the letter U T R E E P.com. As well as finding us on Facebook, Underground Tree Studios, Instagram as Underground Tree. And you can also find artist Dawn Tree online as Artista Dawn Tree. And you can also kick it old school and give us a call at 202-910-4409. Don't hesitate to call us. All it takes is a 10-minute consultation and we can have you hooked up. Peace. If your credit starts with a three, four, five, or six, this is for you. Did you know that it's costing you to have bad credit? You can't get qualified for that house or apartment and you're paying high interest rates, along with paying high car insurance, and it may be costing you that job that you really want. What are you waiting on? Take more of a holistic approach. Pick up the phone and call the Credit Shiro at 832-642-1554 or text CAMP to 76626. With 13 amazing services, we restore and repair generations to come. Once again, call the Credit Shiro at 832-642-1554 or text CAMP to 76626. If you know better, you do better. Only the Credit Shiro can help you to save the day. Let's do it. Tune into the Groove Zone. Join Gail, Mr. Groove Taylor, every Saturday from 2.30 to 5.30. You're in the zone. On the all-new Community Radio, 89.9 FM. Tulsa, get ready for the all-new show on KBOB, 89.9 FM, with Joyce Williams and Mr. Daryl Bright. Education, no blame, no shame, no excuses. On the all-new station, 89.9 FM, KBOB. It's the Juice Radio Show, bringing the liveest people on our show. Tulsa's top chefs, music artists, and entrepreneurs. Sit down, exclusively with the Juice. The Juice Radio Show, Tulsa. It's the Bobby Eaton Show. We tell stories our way. Oh, yeah, we're back right here, and uh, we're talking to Dr. Deborah Giss right here, superintendent of TPS, Tulsa Public Schools. And uh, once again, you can dial in if you would like to talk to Dr. Giss at 646-716-5525. 
and don't forget to press that one button. I want you to do that right now. Dr. Giss, so what's in store for Tulsa Public Schools? What are you doing going forward? You know. Well, there, we're continuing on with a number of exciting initiatives, and I'll, I'll dive into just a few. I think, for one thing, we're making sure that our students are, are getting um, a college and career-ready education. So we've dramatically increased our graduation rates. When I arrived, we were at 63%, and we're inching up towards 80% right now. So we've seen significant improvements in graduation, and graduation matters mm-hmm. very much to our so students. So more young people are graduating. More young people are graduating, but we really want to make sure that when they graduate, that they are fully prepared for whatever choices they make next, whether that means higher education, whether that means traditional university or community college or technical school, or whether that means going directly into work or an apprenticeship or the military, we want them to be ready. So we're um, making sure that the materials that we're using in our classes are high quality, that they are focused on college and career ready, starting in the elementary school and moving all the way through school. We're also making sure that we have more uh, relevant experiences for students. You know, our attendance rate in our high schools is, is very low. We are not as a country, honestly, making sure that high school feels relevant for kids. And so we have expanded our career and technical programming. We've actually doubled since I've been superintendent the number of courses in career and technical education that students are taking. And we just recently have announced that at McLean that we'll be partnering with Tulsa Tech to have an introduction to manufacturing program there at McLean next year, which is going to open up a lot of opportunity for internships in many of the companies that are really nearby yeah. the school. Mm-hmm. Um, but then we're also looking at through an, uh, Tulsa Beyond, in which we brought t- students and teachers and community members together to reimagine school and think about what should high school actually look like. It doesn't have to be the same old structure that it's always been. And uh, so that has launched in, in three of our schools. Um, they've launched their new designs for what high school looks like, which includes, again, these relevant uh, experiences in the real world instead of just the right. you know the typical sort of book right. book experience. You know what I, I don't think, mean not reading. I yeah, just mean reading, like sort of that yeah, textbook thing. Textbook yeah. thing. I think uh, a mistake. Now this is just my personal fault. I think a mistake was taking those skill sets out of school like uh, home economics, uh, wood shop, mechanic shops, and giving those people who may not go off to college, but they have a skill when they graduate high school that they could actually use and do. Well, those, and those hands-on, um, those are life skills that are valuable for everyone. For, for everybody, um, yeah. But, but, you know, make it, it, it's relevant. And students are very hungry. I was just with a group of high school students the other day from my student cabinet, and they were talking about how much they appreciate when their teachers connect what they're learning in school to the real world. So one student was talking yeah, about the real his, world. his algebra teacher was connecting what they're learning in algebra to the stock market and to taxes and things like that, because that helps them to see, well, why am I actually learning this particular topic? And, and that's very helpful for students but to for, feel enthusiastic. For, but for a student who can't change a flat tire, uh, for a lady who don't know how to cook, basic life, you know, basic, they may not always use algebra. You know, that's for certain people who have that, that intellect who can comprehend how to do that math. But just for basic, 
how do you pay a bill? You know, light bill, mm-hmm. electric bill, water bill, gas bill. Those are some of the basic skills that we need to have that I think our young people are not getting. Mm-hmm. And they don't know how to do that. That's why they stay at home longer. And social media and all that, they're tied in. They're staying up all night. They're, some of them are on Snapchat and all of this other stuff that's going on with technology. But I think... uh if you don't see when I was coming up now, I'm old school and I'm just going to say, you know, I'm old school. You, there's certain things that you just had to do, mm-hmm. you know, and I don't think we implement those things with our children anymore. That's why you didn't have uh, kids not going to school. It wasn't, that was unheard of somebody not going to school, but now you got all these kids not attending school. Some of these kids are headed to school, but they head off somewhere else and do other things. And the, uh, their absentee, level is so high, you know, and then they can't graduate or something like that. And some of them end up dropping out. Yes. And it's for different reasons. Um, We certainly need families in the community to be our partner in getting students to school because some of it is just accountability and making sure the students are where they're supposed to be when they need to be there. But there's also the, the responsibility that we have as educators to make sure that the students feel like when they get there, there's something there that that they're that they're connecting to, and what we heard when we went through the design process with Tulsa Beyond, and, and we asked high school students directly, "What is it that you need? What is it that makes what is school?" They, the, you know, one of the biggest things are relationships. Yeah, they want to make sure that they know that they have people at school who care about them, who believe in them, and who know them. And, um, and I think, you know, because we want to focus on college and career ready, it's easy to, it's easy to focus on that curricular part, mm-hmm. which is important, but we can't lose sight of the importance of yeah. those relationships as well. And, and that actually, sorry, Bobby, that actually also then connects to sports because we know that our coaches also have that relationship. And so we, you know, I think it was three years ago when we were going through budget cuts, we cut back on some sports and Mm -hmm. that was, you know, the public said, well, if we're going to have to make cuts, let's cut sports. Well, we did make some cuts to sports. We're not doing that that now. Well, it was when we were going through budget cuts Mm -hmm. and, you know, you're saying, well, do we cut, you know, when you're trying to make really difficult choices, Mm -hmm. but we, we've reversed that because we heard loudly and clearly from, from students that, you know, well, the broader community may want that to go, but as students, they want their athletic opportunities and they want the arts. And we know how valuable those two things are to mm-hmm. kids learning. So we're leaning into doing so more of those. What plans do you have for underserved schools like McLean? I mean, you know, uh, McLean, it seems like in the TPS system that it can become the dumping ground. You know, you're not doing good at Memorial. You're not doing good at so-and-so. We're going to send you out to McLean, you know. Well, and uh, why is that? Well, McLean is a neighborhood school, and I think I hear what you're saying. And, you know, I think it's more of like students. We want students whose neighborhood school is McLean to know why that's a, a positive thing. We want them to be proud of being a student at McLean. We want them to be confident that mm-hmm. what they're going to get there is high yeah. quality. So there have been a number of things that have been happening at McLean. First yeah. of all, we we have dramatically increased the graduation rate at McLean. Unfortunately, when I arrived, it was less than 50%. I believe it was 46% when I arrived. And we've seen 
seen uh, double-digit gains in the graduation rate there at McLean. We still have a lot more work to do, um, but I just said a minute ago, you know, the launch of the uh, of the partnership with Tulsa Tech has been uh, an exciting new announcement for Tulsa for McLean, and Tulsa McLean's also part of Tulsa Beyond. They're um, they're about a year. Yeah. Uh, they're they're still working on their proposal there and really focusing this year. Do you think McLean gets a bad rep? Because I do. I think they get a, a real bad rep sometimes. Absolutely. And, you know, we have um, a teacher at McLean that I hope that people are paying attention to. There's a Facebook page called I Am McLean. And if you haven't seen that yet, um, it's a really amazing teacher. Her name is Cindy Haley. And it's called I Am McLean. And if you follow it on Facebook, she is interviewing her students and taking these really fabulous photos of them. And, and what it's showing people is that, you know, whatever impression they have about our students, um, they're wrong. Our students they're are so wrong. full of incredible, um, first of all, they're amazing human beings. They are, uh, they have so much to offer and we have great people there at McLean making a difference in their lives. And so it doesn't mean we don't have work to do and we're working on those things. Your principal Robowski is, uh, yeah. she's been there I've, for a long time. Mm-hmm. She's been at the school for a long time. She knows the community. They know her. And I feel really enthusiastic about where we are right now. We've, we've got more work to do for sure. I think uh, I would encourage those of you who are listening who have children at McLean to, to join up with the PTA. Yes, you please. Know, come on out, please, and support because out of sight, out of mind, you don't know what's going on in your school unless you participate in mm-hmm. the school. I would also say that one of the challenges that we've had is that McLean has uh, gotten smaller. And when you have a smaller school, it makes it more difficult to be able to offer things. And so we've supplemented a number of things, but we also are focused on needing, knowing that we need to grow the school. Mm -hmm. And when the North Tulsa Community Education Task Force came together, and uh, made the recommendation to us to make make Monroe Demonstration Academy the neighborhood school. Uh, we we are enthusiastic about that because, first of all, there are really exciting things happening at Monroe, and it's not just the basketball championships that they just won in both seventh yeah, and eighth grade. Yeah, it's more yeah, than that. Okay. They have um, they have done you know it's their first year, so uh, so there you know there are definitely some challenges in bringing students together from a whole bunch of different schools into one school all at one time. But things are going very well. We are excited about it. There are about 800 students there in in four grades. Mm-hmm. And what we, the idea is there, we grow those students up into the McLean High School uh, as a cohort. And then imagine the size that we could uh, grow McLean back to, to have a really healthy size high school, to be able to offer all of the things that we want our comprehensive high schools to have for students. Yeah, that's it. Because, um, you know, I'm a graduate of Booger T. Washington High School, and it's changed drastically. I mean, it's almost like on a kind of a college level now, you know, and uh, the curriculum and everything. And everybody always focus on Booger T, Booger T, Booger T. But a lot of people don't really focus on McLean, you know, and uh, which is predominantly African-American over there. And Hispanics mm-hmm. community has very much so increased over it's McLean. Growing. Mm-hmm. It's growing. And uh I would like to see McLean get some attention mm-hmm. that it deserves, you know, because there are a lot of good students over there. You say about 800 students. 
Well, right now it's actually about 500 students. 500 students at McLean? We need, to grow, we need to grow the school. And one of the ways okay, we do 500. that is helping people to see what there is, what we have to offer there and to let go of past perceptions. Yeah, we need to do that. So, um, great. Any plans? Uh, what school is really suffering where that's on the edge of being closed down? Because we hear stuff in our community all the time, they're going to close McLean. You know, they're going to shut mm-hmm. down this school. They're going to shut down that school. We hear this. Mm-hmm. You know, so are there anything in the works of being closed, any schools be in the works of being closed? We have no plans to close schools right Over here. now. Okay. However, we have to grow our our schools back. We have to increase enrollment. We have a number of schools and McLean is one of them that we have to focus on making sure that we have great things to offer in the school, that we are changing public perception about the school and that we are encouraging folks to attend their neighborhood school because we cannot maintain a high school that, that is built for 1200 students, students that has half that. And if it, you know, if, if the school continues to get smaller and smaller, we won't be able to sustain it. We're confident we're going to be able to do that with all the things we're doing at McLean right now, with everything that's happening at Monroe right now, which is very exciting, feeding Monroe into McLean High School. We are confident that we'll grow the school, but we need the community's help to make that happen. We really, really do. And if you think about the size of school with elementary schools, we really need to have, in order to not have to supplement a school, it needs to be at least 350 students, if not 500, ideally, at elementary school. And then at high school, um, we, we really need to have schools at least seven, 800, if not 1,000 students mm-hmm. to be able to keep them healthy now, and thriving. Let me ask you this question. How do you feel about charter schools, charter schools and private schools? Well, so first of all, I believe that every family has to make the choice that is best for them, whatever that choice is for that family and that child. And that's different depending on your child. I am a product of public schools. I've only taught and worked in public schools my entire career. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I'm deeply, deeply dedicated to Tulsa Public Schools. Um, we have six public charter schools that the Board of Education authorizes, and mm-hmm. I'm very proud of them. I think they do strong work in our community. Um, and I think in a lot of cases, they've kept Tulsans in Tulsa because they are there as an option. Um, and so for me, it's not about, you know, do I like charter schools? It's like, do is that school serving kids well? And mm-hmm. if that's a school that's serving kids well, then that's a school okay. I support. How do you feel about homeschooling? Again, I think it's up to the up to a family. I think the it's family. A, I think it's a really uh, important choice to I make. Mean, is I mean, is it a good choice? Or do you it think it depends they should, on the family it, and it okay. depends on the child? I mean, I think that the school experience is so much more than you know academically what you get. There's so much there that is about you know socially and and learning to be a part of a team and learning to collaborate with others. That's what you do in life. So I think that's critically important. But I really do think every family has to choose for themselves. Um, we have to, as a school system, we have to be a school system that offers families a lot of different uh, options. options. Mm-hmm. And we do. We we want people to know that we have at Tulsa Learning Academy, which is now at the Alcott building, um, we have a, a, a virtual school that has uh, flexible schedules 
uh, you know, if that's the kind of thing that someone is looking for, we have that in Tulsa Public Schools. Mm -hmm. If they're looking for an agriculture program, we have that at Webster High School. If they're looking for culinary, if they're excited about that, we have that at Hale High School. If they're interested in, in, in manufacturing, we now have that at McLean High School. We have our performing arts. I just went to Central last night for their performance of Dancing in Wonderland where mm-hmm. the, with the Central uh, Dance Company. And so we have these programming uh, uh, opportunities and options available to families. We want them to know what those are and to, and to make the choice that is best for them. And we're confident that that choice can be Tulsa Public Schools. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, going forward, um, what's in place to help improve these schools? You know, what are some of the solutions that can happen? Well, we mentioned the teacher shortage earlier, and I want to go back to that because um, I talked about how significantly the number of emergency certified teachers in the state has grown. I mean, truly exponentially grown. And recognizing that and knowing how much support those folks needed, we created our own teacher preparation program. It's called Tulsa Teacher Corps. And there are a lot of exciting things about Tulsa Teacher Corps. Um, But one of the things I would say is that we are able to, through our recruitment of folks in Tulsa Teacher Corps, have a much more diverse teaching force that we're able to recruit. We have more men and more teachers of color who are coming through that program than any of other of our uh, preparation programs. Teach for America has a pretty diverse uh, group as well, but Tulsa Teacher Corps is extraordinarily diverse and also diverse in terms of their experience and backgrounds. Um, so we, we, will, we will hire every uh, you know, qualified, traditionally prepared teacher that we can. That's certainly how I learned to become a teacher. Um, but in addition to that, we have this, this Tulsa Teacher Corps program. So that's one of the one of the things that we've put into place to address this teacher shortage mm-hmm. that I hadn't had a chance to mm-hmm. mention. Why? Um, I got a question. Um, why, why is it that the state of Oklahoma has not invested into its educational process with schools and education? Why do you think that is? You know, it's totally a mystery to me. And I think what we fail to realize, and so the community understands this, but we have to make sure our state leaders understand that if we do not invest in public education, first of all, we are only hurting ourselves. We're not only hurting the individual child and the family involved, which we are, but we're also hurting our entire, we're hurting the economy. It's a, it's a drain on public health. And ultimately, as a society, we end up paying for it in the long run anyway, because we have more people relying on social services and we have more, we, we have more to pay in, in our criminal justice system and other kinds of things. Imagine where we could be as a, as a community if we, if we invested uh, in a serious way in our education system. And that was a you know, much more robust than we have now in Oklahoma. And we were doing that for every single child and they were coming out ready to tackle all kinds of problems. And, and they were truly college and career ready in every respect of the, of that term. Um, that is what we can, that is the best possible thing we can do for our kids. Instead, Oklahoma cut more per pupil to education than any other state in the country for 10 years years. And we are still a hundred million dollars less 
in what we spend on education than we were uh, at that time. And we have 50,000 more students in Oklahoma now. So that money gets spread out um, among that, you know, so it's less money being spread out among even more students than we had previously in the state, which means every district gets a little bit less per student. You, mm-hmm. you said we had about 75 schools in Tulsa. In Tulsa, yeah, it TPS. Depends, mm-hmm, it depends on how you count them because we have like special sites like the Tulsa Learning Academy and Street School and things like that. But yeah, 75 that, that are connected mm-hmm. with TPS, right? Right. Hmm. And most of those schools are the elementary schools. Mm-hmm. Most of the Most. majority are mm-hmm. elementary schools, right? Mm-hmm. How many high schools do we have? Do you know? Again, it depends on how you count them. We have nine comprehensive schools. I usually say 10, um, you know, because we have schools like the Met, for example, that's a mm-hmm. junior high high school. But our, our traditional sort of comprehensive schools, we have nine. Nine. Okay. Okay. Well, I hopefully that we can improve because you said we were like number fifty-seven. Um, do you, Did you, is that what you said? Are you talking about when I was talking about where state we are wise, in the state? Yeah. No, no, no. I'm talking. I was saying that Oklahoma, Oklahoma, in terms of what we spend on education, we are near the bottom in the country. So the most recent report, we were forty-seventh in the country in terms of our our spending. Our spending. So as far mm-hmm. as our status is concerned, mm-hmm. like. This state is number two, and this state is yeah. We what are, how do we rank? We were like about thirty the last time I looked. 30. So that's what I was saying. How you know we're spending near the bottom. We're not you know we're we're not doing awesome in terms of performance. But uh, but our teachers, in other words, our teachers with 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 that we're not forty seventh in performance as well. You know we're higher in performance than we are what we spend, and it's because of our teachers mm-hmm. doing what they're doing in spite of our lack of investment in them as a as a society. I, it just puzzles me why we don't see that. I know, agree to, inv- to invest in our school system and to our children because our children are our future. I know, and and, know? and Oklahomans know that. You know, when we uh, starting to come up in my Facebook memories, the preparation for the walkout two years ago, and I'll see these posts about you know the board of education taking you know signing a declaration, and it was all leading up to up to the walkout. And I remember during that walkout how passionately Tulsans and Oklahomans oh, people yeah. rose up, and they and that I know that belief is still there, um, but. I think it's important for people to know that we have not solved the problem yet. And, and for sure money isn't everything. And I, you know, I don't want anybody to think that I believe that I don't, but also when we invest as little as we invest, it is extraordinarily difficult for us to do um, all of what we know we need and want to do and what our students need and deserve. Wow. So how how has uh, I got a question? You know, with the marijuana laws changing and all that, have you seen an increase happening in the school system of young people smoking marijuana? We have not seen an, an increase uh, doing um, drugs and, or anything like that. And in like fact, there's actually um, there's a national and, and the state participates in this. It's a it's an anonymous survey that we take of students. Um, and actually, nationally, this generation is is actually doing less smoking and 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 less. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Really. Then past. So it didn't increase. And, it's less. Well, I mean, this saying? is not with all the dispensaries going around and yeah, all of that happening. So this this what I'm talking about would probably be before 
that. Okay. Um, but, but I just think that sometimes people always think the generations behind them, you know, <laughs> are, mm-hmm. you know, I truly believe that this generation is the one that's going to save us. They, they have the, the drive, the innovation, the passion for social justice. They don't have the hangups that, that, that my generation has. And mm-hmm. they, they really do embrace one another. Yeah, they they accept one another. They, um, and they, and they're ready to do whatever it takes to, to make change. And, and I, I really admire that. Yeah. You know, we've been taught well I was taught when you when you were going to school go to school get your education go off to college so you could get a good job that's what we were taught now it's kind of like uh go to school graduate get your education and become your own boss and you know so you can give somebody a job mm-hmm. I like so, that yeah you know so you can give somebody a job so I see a, a lot of young people wanting to be entrepreneurs mm-hmm. and having their own business. And, you know, I understand that college is not for everybody. It's just not for everybody. It's for those who choose to go to it, mm-hmm. you know, and participate and get that kind of education. And, and there are a lot of different options. I mean, most of our students go to Tulsa Community College, and I right. think it's important for students to know that Tulsa Achieves is free. They can get their associate's degree at no cost, and that gets them started OSU now has a linked program with Tulsa Community College where they can go right into if they want to keep on going and earn their bachelor's. But there are other options, too. Tulsa Tech has programming that allows students that's post-secondary, again, at no cost to go and earn credentials. Right, exactly. And that'll help you find a really job, good jobs. Too, huh? yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then there's also, I went to the opening of the Holburton School uh, in downtown Tulsa, which is a school that's uh, that's for, um, like, like uh, technology. I know. And so young people out there who are interested in video games or computers, they right. can go and programs at, and things uh-huh. like that. And yeah. it's no cost. They actually earn a, uh, they actually earn a living stipend and there's no, there's no tuition. And so it's another great example of the kind of programming that's available. There are lots of all opportunities and mm-hmm. options. Mm-hmm. If you had the option to change things in the Tulsa public school systems, what would be one of the first things that you would do if you had that kind of control and that kind of power to do that? What would you do? Do you mean I'm when, talking about in like the school without... system, period, TPS, Dr. Giff. All right. Dr. Giff, yep. what do you want to do? So is to... money an option or I have Mon- to? Money, whatever. Okay. So if I had, if I were able to increase, the first thing I would do is I would raise teacher salaries significantly by another, say, ten, fifteen thousand $15,000 for starting. And then as we held on to great teachers, we would make sure that they were earning really significant professional okay. salaries. Um, but the other thing that I would do is I would take away um, all of the red tape that comes from the state and federal government that prevents us from being able to do much more innovative things for our students. All of this counting of courses and, and all of this, you know, uh, just all these restrictions that we put that prevent us from being able to let students follow their passions and um, and give our teachers more flexibility. Those those are things that I would do that actually don't cost more money. Okay. Okay. And we've, and we've done that. We actually asked the state has a, I don't remember the bill number, but it's called the empowerment act. And we're the only district in the state who has used it. And we asked the state board of education to give us flexibilities. And we're using that at these Tulsa beyond sites mm-hmm. to give our 
teachers and students more flexibility around like graduation requirements and things like that so that they can do things um, more innovatively. Okay. Okay. Off to another subject here. I understand that the 1921 massacre has been implemented into the school system. Is that correct? Yes. So a couple things about that. For one thing, we have, we have taught about Black Wall Street and about the massacre that occurred in 1921 in history for a number of years now. We didn't for a long time, as you and I both know. Mm-hmm. I went it through wasn't school. We didn't, we, I, you know, I didn't learn about it until I was an adult and, and living outside of Tulsa, which was horrifying. Um, but we've taught it in history for a while now. So um, when you say a while, how long? I, you know, it was before I was here, so okay. I'm not sure. It was exactly. implemented. There was a state law. Mm-hmm. That was a state law that was yep. implemented to mm-hmm. teach it in schools. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought but, it just maybe when the last few years got really mm-hmm. implemented, but I don't know. Yeah, you know, but but it's more important, it, or not more important, but like we need to build from that because it's more than just about history. Um, we we actually have been we're going on our third year of of uh, hosting an institute in which we bring teachers together, and they're together to learn with one another. Um, we bring in Hannibal Johnson and Dr. Carlos Hill from OU, who's mm-hmm. the head of the African American Studies program there, and a, and a national expert on many things, including lynching. And these experts work with our teachers, build their content knowledge, um, but then our teachers are developing lessons. And these are teachers that are they're elementary teachers, they're librarians, they're English teachers, they're history teachers, all kinds of different uh, instructors. And they're building their lessons, and then they're implementing their lessons, and then what we're doing is getting to a point where we can share those lessons with others. So um, what was recently announced is that the state is adopting new social studies standards, and these are um, pre-K through 12. And so the state is developing resources, and they include information about uh, Black Wall Street and, uh, and the massacre. And I say that Black Wall Street and the massacre because one of the things that our teachers believe really strongly, and I totally agree, is that we this needs to be taught not just as this bad thing happened in 1921, but also look at this incredible thriving community and and what was here and why it mattered and and that that part of the story is hugely important. Yeah, because you know there were over 600 businesses down there on Black Wall Street, Greenwood. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we often talk about that all the time, but, you know, some I think there's a street we forget, and that is Lansing, mm-hmm. which was in the square blocks of Greenwood, and it had hotels and uh, movie theaters and all kind of stuff right on it. Well, we kind of forget about Lansing. Mm-hmm. No, you know, nobody never talks yeah. about it, but that's well, part Sen- of the history. Senator Matthews has <clears throat> been a really important leader in this work, and and I'm really grateful to be on the commission. And so we Tulsa's been a leader as we should be on this, but it is it is statewide now, and we're actually working with a national publisher who's interested in taking lessons that our teachers are working on and making sure that this is something that's available nationwide because it's not just Tulsa history and it's mm-hmm. not just Oklahoma history. It's, it is, it's world, it is history. world history. It's beyond yeah, us and sure. it is important for people to know about it. I think uh, it's, it's starting to surface now. Everybody's talking about it. Centennial is going to be here next year and everybody's you know concerned about what's going to take place here you know, in Tulsa, Oklahoma during the centennial. And I think our children 
uh, young people need to know about this history. Everybody should know about it Absolutely. because a lot of them don't. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't even know it even happens. Mm-hmm. And I think when I was coming up, uh, a lot of us didn't really know about it because our forefathers and ancestors wanted to keep it hush hush because they didn't want it to happen again. Mm-hmm. You know, so mm-hmm. that was taking place. But and Tulsa kept it up under wraps too because they were embarrassed of what took place right there. So they kept it shh, mm-hmm. be quiet. We don't want to talk about what we did. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. and now that they're looking for the uh, the graves and mm-hmm. things like that and stuff is happening. So it's starting to come to the forefront. Mm -hmm. I also think that, you know, one of the other things that we're doing in our district is really, um, and Daryl brought this up earlier, Mr. Bright, about, about cultural uh, competence, cultural awareness, yes, important uh, bias. You know the the systems of racism that have existed and continue to exist in our society, in our school district, in our city, and beyond. And and we have really tackled that in a in a big way and have raised that question. We're acknowledging the historical trauma that exists and the ways in which that that racism has affected our neighborhoods and our communities over the years and what it means for us now as a city and what it means for us as a district and what we need to be doing about it. Mm -hmm. So that's some pretty big and heavy stuff to tackle, but it's, it has to be, we have to acknowledge it and we have to be explicit about what we're going to do as a result of it. Well, Hey, we're on the Bobby Eaton show where we tell our stories our way and we're going to take a little break and we're going to come right back. So we want you to stick around and uh, we're playing a lot of Tulsa's, Tulsa's uh, very own Gap Band and people like that. Deborah Giss, superintendent of Tulsa Public Schools, is in the house. And uh, we want to continue. Dial the number 646-716-5525. And don't forget to press that one button. All right. Here we go.
Oh, uh, yeah. Once again, Tulsa's own Gap Band, Outstanding. You know, uh, I know a little history about that song right there. Uh, the gentleman who wrote that song, his name is Raymond Calhoun. I've been knowing him for a long time. I introduced him to the Gap Band. And uh, he wrote that song for his daughter because she had a great report card. And she brought it home. And he said, I'm going to write a song for my daughter. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. And uh, he wrote that song for her. And uh, he went in the studio with the Gap because he was playing with the Gap Band. Uh-huh. So doing some downtime, he just went in there and started playing this song on the piano. And they recorded the song. And Charlie Wilson heard it and said, oh, man, I like that. Took the words and started singing. We're going to do that on our album. And that's how it came about. That he, is, what's he the name of it? Called Outstanding. Oh, I love that. Yeah, Outstanding. Girl, you knock me out. And that's that. what he wrote it for his daughter. <laughs> and it was uh, their their biggest hit, you know, and that's what it was. Well, we're on the Bobby Eaton Show. Deborah Giss is in the house. And uh, we've been talking and chopping up a lot of information, much needed information, clarification on a lot of stuff. And uh, let me ask you this question. When you – I know you get to the uh, – service center very early, right? Depends on the day. Sometimes I'm at schools. Sometimes you (laughs) you go around to different schools? Yeah, I try to. This year with budget cuts, I haven't been able to do as much as I normally do. But this past week, I've gotten to go to some schools. Okay, okay. It's been great. Are you more more in elementary schools or more in high schools or middle schools? Which ones are you mostly in? I mean, all of the above. Try to – go to different schools in different parts of town. And, and so, yeah, I'm in different schools. Mm-hmm. What are you finding out as you go to these schools? What are you finding out are most of the concerns? You know, it's, um, it's a combination of things. So I think about my visit yesterday to an elementary school and I, I was reading to a class actually, um, because it, Uh, This past week was Read Across America Week, which is a celebration that the National Education Association started in honor of Dr. Seuss's birthday Mm a long, long time ago, a few decades ago. And uh, so I was there reading to a group of second graders and I had it was the experience at the school had two, two things going on. One was my reading to the students and just what an amazing group of young people they were and how smart they were and how excited they were and they love reading and they love their library and they were super into science. And so they were telling me all these different science facts and all these things that they learned about the world. And, and I was, I was just incredibly impressed with what they were, what they were sharing with me. What school was that again? Hamilton. Hamilton. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, And then, you know, but I also know that, um, you know, I'll, I'll go on a visit and I'll see, um, a situation in which a student has really melted down and the, and the adults at a school are needing to rally around one student. And so when you see something like that happen also, and I visit a lot of different schools. And so it just reminds me of, of two things at the same time. One, how amazing our students are, how much uh, they are capable of doing and how excited they are to learn and also just the significant need that our students have. We, we really have a need for additional 
counselors and social workers and other kinds of wraparound supports for our young people. And we, and we need to continue partnering with our community. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've talked a lot with Reverend Potter and, and other pastors mm-hmm. about the faith community and the, and the role they play now and the role they can continue to play in providing supports to young people and their families. Um, we also know that different social service organizations, I was at, uh, at uh, last night, uh, before I went over to Central, I was at the at the Dream Center. They're having their basketball league for the fourth, yeah, past, for the fourth graders. Pastor Tim over there. Yes, right? mm-hmm. exactly. And uh, you know, hundred black men are there in mm-hmm. full force. Uh, they they do such a great job in our oh. schools, and so we do have these organizations uh, that are wrapping around our schools. We just honestly, and you said this earlier, we just need even more more mentors, more supporters. More. Um, more people helping out, and uh, and we need people advocating to our state to fund our schools so we can have more counselors and more teachers. Do you have any type of volunteer programs? You know, because I know a lot of times, you know, you people just can't come up to school and volunteer unless they got some type of clearance or something, right? Well, they can do that. Is that through, it? They, can they do that? They can. I mean, we do. We do need to do background checks if it's going to be somebody who's like a regular volunteer for sure. But there are a lot of different organizations that people can go through. So 100 Black Men is one great example, and they do a wonderful job with mentoring. Uh, we also have programs like uh, Reading Partners. Reading so, Partners, and yeah, That's a great one that anybody can do, and you don't have to have the special expertise or anything. They'll walk you through the whole thing and, and train you in all the materials are there. I've done it myself and it's super straightforward. Um, and then depending on what people's interests are, there are all kinds of different things. So there, we have bike club, for example. So if people are cyclists and they're interested in yeah. that, or they just want to themselves get out and, and, and get a little more active, mm-hmm. um, bike club is another great example. Yeah. My sister um, and her friend just started a bike club, mm-hmm, uh, African-American black club. Well, I'm not going to say it's all that, but it's very diverse and anybody can join. Yeah. And they just started a bike club. I love so that. Good. That's a good thing. Yes. So there yeah. are all kinds of different options. A lot of our churches are partners in education. We have a partners in education programs of churches and businesses that are mm-hmm. active in our schools through partners in education. I wish our churches would get more active around here in the community because it would really help, you know, if they step outside those four walls. Well, I'm not going to get in that conversation. But anyway, <clears throat> Tulsa Public Schools, uh, what number are you as far as the superintendent is concerned? Are you number 12 or are you number four or what? Do you know? You know, I don't actually know the answer so How many to superintendents that. have they had? I, I don't know. I do know that we have had a lot less turnover. I know in Oklahoma City they've had 11 superintendents in like the last five or six years or something like that. I was that. just and wondering so we, what about Tulsa. We've had, we've had pretty consistent You've, been, you've been here for a while now, right? I'll be finishing my fifth year. Yeah. And so we've had pretty good consistency. I am the first um, – permanent female superintendent, although, of course, we know Dr. Wimberly was yeah. interim superintendent, and she's somebody I admire very, very much, um, mm-hmm. but that's something I'm, I'm proud of, especially because it's my hometown, so I'm really I'm really. You came back that. home, huh? I did, and I'm, I couldn't be happier to be home, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Tulsa, yeah, great. Yeah, definitely. Do you think Tulsa's growing, or do you think it's kind of stagnant, or what? What do you think? Tulsa has, you know, I don't, I, I think that the, my understanding is that Tulsa's uh, population has been fairly consistent, but you, 
I have seen one thing I've noticed, and I'm really grateful to Mayor Bynum for what he's done. We're seeing growth and development in terms of uh, uh, businesses coming in. I think the, there was an announcement just last week about American Airlines. So there are jobs that are coming, Amazon, you know, jobs that are coming, which I think will help yeah. us to grow. We need our public school system we to do. be strong to to grow too, because what we don't, you know, we want to hold people here, not hold them, but like encourage them to to want to be Tulsans and stay in Tulsa proper and not move to the suburbs. We have more, we, we lose more students to the suburbs than we do to public charter schools or other kinds of entities. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we want to make sure that they know that Tulsa public schools are a great option for them. And there are all kinds of um, types of schools and things that, that could meet their interests. And we also want them, we want their neighborhood school to be a school good, they feel good. confident in. Mm-hmm. Well, that's good right there. How do you feel about North Tulsa? How do I feel about North yeah, Tulsa? Yeah, what do you think of North Tulsa? Well, I love North Tulsa, and I I feel um I feel so grateful to uh, so many of the community leaders in North Tulsa who have uh, who've been awesome mentors to me, and I I really appreciate that because it's important for um for me to to hear from them, to follow their guidance, to to listen, to engage, and to you know when we make a misstep, when we make a mistake, or we tackle something the wrong way to be willing to, to listen and to change. Uh, and I'm very open to that. And so I'm grateful to folks who've been willing to, to give me their guidance and, and be, be a part of that with me. Yeah. I, you know, the reason I ask that because sometimes I think uh, North Tulsa is like the tale of two cities, you know, it's different, you know, um, uh, it's almost like uh, North Tulsa is almost like a, a colony, you know, because we lack a lot of things over here, like a basic stuff, like a grocery store mm-hmm. and, you know, just something that, mm-hmm. that keeps us alive with fresh vegetables and things like that. And uh, a lot of things have been torn down. Mm-hmm. And as gentrification takes place in our community, the quick trips and uh, uh, the, the Burger King start building over here. And everybody, <clears throat> they start sucking up the income and never putting anything back in the community. A lot of times people will come over here in North Tulsa and won't consult with the community. We're just going to do this, hmm. you know. And they, I, I believe you should consult with the community, find mm-hmm. out what the needs of the community are. And once you do that, then you can kind of like, okay, well, they need, they don't need no more dollar stores over here. We got too many of them eating bad foods. We need a grocery store. So let's figure out how we can go in that direction to obtain some things that we actually really, really need, you know? So that's uh, uh, some of the issues that we have over here, you know? Yeah, I understand that. I will, I will say quick trip um, as a local company has, has helped out the district. And one of the things they've helped us with is the, is some of the work I was describing around, um, uh, cultural relevance and climate and things like that. So we've we've been grateful to their to their investment in the yeah. district. So that's been helpful. Mm-hmm. But I it's, I understand the point that you're making. I just yeah, reminded, because, reminded you know, speaking, me speaking speaking of Quick Trip, and I, I'm not trying to bash Quick sure, Trip because sure. I go up there myself. <laughs> you know, but I understand that uh, uh, you know, like this Quick Trip up here, Pine Imperial, mm-hmm. the new one. You know, I was told at one time it's like number it's number three in Quick Trip. You know, as far as income is concerned. 
you know, and I was like, really? I was talking to a district manager. He said, yeah, this one's right here. I guess that was when it first opened up. Mm. It was really high on the charts as far as sales and things. And it's still high on the charts. I know it is uh, because that's where we go, mm-hmm. you know, to get just some basic items and things like that. We go to Quick Trip. We go to Walgreens. We go to dollar stores. But we don't have a grocery store with some fresh vegetables and produce and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. So I thought I saw something that that was changing. I know that's been a long-standing problem. Yeah, well, you know, problem. we hear it. But that, you until know, you see it. Until yeah, we see it. See, we're, we're people of sight. Sure, we sure. have to see it to believe it, mm-hmm. you know. So until we see it, then that's just what it is, mm-hmm. you know. So we're here. North mm-hmm. Tulsa, I love North Tulsa. I think that North Tulsa sometimes get a bad rap. Oh, definitely. We get a, the media will portray as soon as somebody shoots somebody or rob somebody, the media will blast it and blast it and blast it. But it's not so often that they come over and do stories on good things that are happening over here. Mm-hmm. You know, Reed Community Center, uh, Pocket Full of Hope. Uh, it's a whole lot of good yeah. stuff to Senior Citizens Place. There's a whole lot of good things happening in North Absolutely. North Tulsa. And, and you're right about the attention. I mean, the same thing happens with Tulsa Public Schools, especially schools in North Tulsa, that, you know, something happens that happens in all kinds of schools. And then suddenly, you know, everybody says, oh, you know, that's because that's how, that, you know, it sort of furthers uh, biases and perceptions that people have instead of recognizing that, you know, all schools have things that, that go on. And, you know, we, we want to get the good stories out. We have a, a team that's been working so hard, and we, they place really positive stories, and we've gotten them. So when I was mentioning earlier Ms. Haley, who's the teacher at McLean, uh, Channel 8, Emory Bryan at Channel, Channel 8 came out and did a story right. about the I Am McLean uh, feature that she does. And so we do get some positive stories placed, which is exciting when we can make that well we need more positive stories because the majority of people over here in north tulsa are great good people oh for sure they are just lovely people and they're great and uh you know you got a few small knuckleheads very few that's making some riffraff but the majority of people here in north tulsa are great you know great they say it takes 10 positive stories to combat sort of a negative story so that means we have a lot of work to do yeah a lot of work to do and you know we got a lot of work to do in our school system Mm -hmm. you know we got to get people conscious and into education you know because our children are our future and as we elders like myself you know i got more time behind me than i do in front of me so that's why i do what i do now you know so we can build a better future for our young people Absolutely. Here in our communities, you know, so we want to do that. Well, uh, I want to just thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule. Thank you, Bobby. Yeah, to come on the show and share this pertinent information. I appreciate it so much. I'm going to go cheer for some of our basketball teams now and then go to a school play. Yeah, so I know. It's going to be an exciting day. Busy, busy schedule, right? I love it. I love it. And I love I, I love that you invited me, and I really appreciate this chance to talk about the thing I love most in the world, which is Tulsa Public Schools. All right. Well. A- aside from my family. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, we'll get you back on, okay? Thank you. All right. Thank you. Hey, you're on the Bobby Eaton Show where we tell our stories our way every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, 6 p.m. Central Standard Time. 
And like today, from 12 to 6, you know, so we got a lot of stuff going on over here. <coughs> we do take the donations over here, 1533 North Norfolk. We got a little donation bucket. So if you're able to help out, we are trying to raise money for a van, and we're doing some solicitation and all of that stuff, but it takes money to make things happen. So until the next time, we want you to take care and have a good one, okay?
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lol. 
Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.